The scripture reading tonight is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verses 20 through 35. And the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to restrain him. For people were saying, he has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebub. And by the ruler of the demons, he cast out demons. And he called to them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. But his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed the house can be plundered. Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, he has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside, asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. The word of the Lord. There are many stories of God's sudden interventions in the world, miraculous breakings into the natural order of the lives of men and women. But one only has to consider the growth of a tree or the light and heat of the sun to understand that God's miraculous works usually unfold over time, beginning humbly and go on unnoticed. Trees in the rainforest making the air breathable unnoticeable until one considers what must go into making it possible to simply breathe in and out, oxygenating the blood, feeding the brain, which sends involuntary impulses to the lungs. It was that kind of deep mystery that was at work in the boy. Not simply that he breathed in and out, but that he noticed it. And from an early age, It was clear that he noticed many things. He observed or intuited how things worked. Everything from the crude machines of his day, levers and pulleys, joinery and rammed earth structures, to what soils were best for growing flax or marjoram. He understood not only just the workings of the earth and the physical constructions of craftsmen, but also the systems of families, municipalities, empires, and how they all interacted and the influence they had on one another for good and for not so much good. As he grew in wisdom and stature, I believe the phrase is, he did not use his knowledge, his ability to better his place or the place of his family. He was content to work with his hands, to pray, to think, to observe, simply to be gave him pleasure. 
Even his choice of a wife was thought to be a humble one. Everyone said that a successful builder could have married up much higher. But he was not interested in following the expected or, you might say, prescribed path. She was very young and quickly gave him a son. From the time his son could toddle, he never left his father's side. And his father taught him everything he had observed, preparing him, he told his son, for what the mysteries would require of him. He trained him as a carpenter, but much more importantly, he trained him in understanding the machinations of the human heart and the plotting of the human mind. Jesus' father spent much time, especially teaching him all that he had gleaned over the years from conversations with travelers and official decrees of the workings of Rome, and especially of Octavian Augustus Julius Caesar. From a young age, this Roman had seized control of the former republic and built it into an empire. You must pay attention to how he did this, Joseph would tell his son. First, he declared his adopted father, Julius Caesar, a god. And he put the poets and philosophers to writing legends and song about, songs about him, that he was born of a virgin and that he himself was the son of God that would bring peace to the world. He called for miraculous public work projects, building aqueducts and canals all over the known world. He provided um, clean water even to the lowliest peasants. He dispatched legions throughout the world to bring the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome that he had declared to the world. He established great legal and political systems to administer his peace. And it was declared that his father had blessed the Son of God. Rome itself became powerful and prosperous, its dominion covering the entire world. <clears throat> but understand this, Joseph emphasized to Jesus, Rome does not prosper by the blessings of God, but through the taxes imposed at spear point on all the peoples of the world and on the backs of a million slaves. The peace of this son of God is not peace, but order requiring armies and violence to uphold it. Now when Jesus was the age where he would be considered a man, his father unfolded to him a plan, a notion, a story for him to live out, one of the kind of deep mystery that does not come to completeness over weeks or months or years, but over thousands and thousands of years. You will let it be known Joseph said to Jesus, but in the quietest ways that you are the true son of God, born of a virgin who brings peace to the world. And you will do this not in the grand forums of the powerful, but in the hills and the villages of the countrysides. You will tell this story not to rulers or principalities of Rome and its empire, but to the peasants and the outcasts. You will declare a peace that is not as the world has been given by Rome's son of God, that is a false peace brought about by power and violence, but a true peace that is brought about by love and sacrifice. And in time, empires will rise and fall built on their false peace by their armies and laws. But your story, Jesus, the peace 
that you declare will unfold slowly until no empires are left, until the only story that remains will be the one of love and a true peace that is beyond understanding. Jesus, having been taught by Joseph from the time he could walk, understood the deep sort of miracle immediately, and with his father's guidance set about to fulfill his calling. It's a kind of miraculous love, his father would tell him, a deep and miraculous love that will produce that which is beyond comprehension. I have seen it. I have seen it work, and you can trust it to unfold. It is an impossible, impossible love. There are so many curious and baffling questions that for this text today, I mean, it just brings all these questions out. They're crazy. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to take them kind of in order and just look at them. I mean, first, right off the bat, this verse, the first verse, begins in the middle of a sentence, which is weird. Verse 20 starts with, and the crowds came together so they could not even eat. That's odd. To start a verse in the middle of a sentence, to start it with a conjunction, that, that implies dependence on what's come before for understanding. So what is that full sentence that we don't get to hear all of in this reading today? Then he went home, and the, and the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat. Why even leave that part out? Why leave out, then he went home? Especially when the idea of home or the household is such a big part of this whole reading. Is there like something about Jesus going home or like even having a home that the verse dividers want to play down? What nefarious arts are at work here? Something that makes them uncomfortable about Jesus and home? It continues. When his family, they head in. When his family heard what was going on, the crowds so big that he couldn't even, they couldn't even eat, when his family heard it, they went out to restrain him. And people were saying, he has gone out of his mind. Restrain him? Because he'd gone out of his mind? Like, what was Jesus doing that was so crazy? What was his family thinking? I mean, what? Oh no, here's this really big crowd again. So big, people can't even eat. That's insane. Crazy, big crowd. They can't even eat. Madness. Get the restraints. It's weird. I mean, what was Jesus doing that was so insane? Yet his family would try to bind him. I mean, probably from the context, really what he's doing here is casting out demons. I mean, that could seem crazy. It could probably get you restrained today. Maybe the process of casting out demons, too, is like upsetting or gross. So you're like, you lose your appetite or something. I don't know, like, oh, I can't even eat when he's doing that. It's bizarre. Then the religious leaders, they get in on it, coming to the aid of Jesus' family, which seems out of place. They say, clearly, he casts out demons because he is the king of demons, to which Jesus replies, how can Satan cast out Satan? A house divided cannot stand. It will fall. And then he adds cryptically, or maybe just confusingly, 
But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first binding him, tying up the strong man, and then indeed his house can be plundered. So what is that about? What, whose house are we talking about here? Is this like, and who is the strong man? Is um, it like Satan's house and he's the strong man and he needs to be bound first? But the only one who's under threat of being bound here at all, I guess, is Jesus. His family was rushing out to restrain him. Is it Jesus' house? Is he the strong man? He's just telling them they can't plunder it because they can't bind him up? Or is he telling them they should try a little bit harder? I don't know. Then on to the next baffler, and this one is a good one. It's legendary, practically. Jesus continues, People will be forgiven of their sins, whatever, they, whatever blasphemes they utter. But whoever blasphemes the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin because they... Um, and they said this because they told him he had an unclean spirit. This is the explanation. So it must be like this, this unpardonable sin it's come to be called. It's like if you call something that is the work of the Holy Spirit evil, then that is the unpardonable sin. Like saying Jesus casting out demons because he is a demon is like saying something that is of the Holy Spirit is evil. So that's unpardonable. Or it's like saying that people who God has brought together who love each other and want to get married is evil. Like, that's the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin, it just, it's like one of those things, it's just like saying it brings it on in your mind, you know? You accidentally commit it just by reading about it here. It's like saying, don't think of a pink elephant. See? You did it. Unpardonable. Dang. So, what about this unpardonable sin thing? I mean... How can this even be? How can it even be true? Like, isn't Jesus capable of, like, doing anything? Is, aren't all things possible for God? But if this unpardonable sin thing is true, then we are all doomed. None of us will escape it. Because we commit this unpardonable sin just by the way we live our lives. By taking things that are clearly the work of the Spirit of God and treating them like they're made by the devil. Like our bodies and the oceans, and the people we love. We are in an impossible situation with this unpardonable sin thing. But this isn't even the end. Jesus' mother and brothers come back, and they're trying to get to Jesus, and I guess trying to restrain him again, to bind him and haul him away. And they're calling, the scripture says. What are they saying? Jesus, you're out of control. Stop it, man. You're not yourself. We're here to help. Come on. The crowd passes the message into Jesus. Your mother and your brothers and your sisters are here, and they want you to come out. And Jesus responds, Who are my mother and my brothers? And he looks around and he says, You are my mother and my brothers. Anyone who does the will of God is my mother and my brothers. What does Jesus do here? He just rejects his mothers and his brothers? He divides his household? Did Jesus just divide his household? After he just told us that a divided house will not stand? That a house cannot stand divided, that it will fall? Why does Jesus want his house to fall? 
Now here's a final question. We have his mother and his brothers and his sisters. Where's Jesus' dad? You know, I mean, not God the Father in heaven, but his dad, Joseph. I mean, Father's Day is next week, and Jesus' dad is getting left out. Where is he? We don't hear about him hardly anywhere in the scripture. He just disappears. But luckily, it did not take me much time on the interweb to find out what happened. So apparently, Jesus' dad, Joseph, died in a construction accident September 25th, a Tuesday, when Jesus was 13. He was crushed by a falling derrick while working on the governor's house. And he left uh, Jesus as the oldest, as the man of the house. So Jesus had to take over his father's business and raise the kids. And so he was unable to follow his dream of going to Jerusalem and studying with the rabbis. But, it turned out, but he turned out to be quite a good businessman, putting away enough money so his family would be taken care of in case um, something should happen to him. Evidently, he was especially fond of his youngest sister, Ruth, who was born on a Wednesday, April 7th, in the year 9 CE. When Jesus was 27, his brother James was old enough to run the business, at which time Jesus went traveling until he was 30, and that's where the Bible picks up the story. At least according to the Arantia paper, that was apparently transmitted to a bedridden man in Chicago in 1925 by a being that was either an angel or a creature from another planet. Jesus wants the house to come down. He divides it so it will not stand. He is eventually bound, and the house is plundered, plundered and fallen. What is left is only rubble that we still pretend is a mansion, built through the, accrued, the, built through the wealth accrued with Jesus' successful business acumen. We step over fallen stones and decayed beams and tell ourselves our house, our household is one, beautiful and grand, condemned to the delusion by the unpardonable sin. That which is holy goes unrecognized. Perhaps, though, there is some deep mystery, some deep miracle at work, a kind of love that is in the air we breathe, that can do the impossible, forgive the unforgivable, and we will one day, through its prompting, move out of the rubble. <laughs>